podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Right, welcome to the Whistleblowers this week, uh, quite a week in fact, um, and I'm delighted to be joined by um, two men that probably haven't been on a pod together, I don't believe, since the early days of quarantine, uh, John Bruin. John, great to have you on. Hello Martin, good to be back, good to be back. Back in London? Yes, yeah, after uh, a few weeks back in Macclesfield, which was very nice, uh, though I wasn't there when, of course, the football club ceased to exist. I, I came, I'd come back just a few days before that. So, um, very sad times. Uh, yeah. And yeah, we, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll come on to that maybe in yes. a little bit. Cause I think, yes. yeah, we probably, we mean you haven't spoken about it. So this is the perfect time to probably air that. And I've yeah. heard you speaking about it on a few other things very eloquently and perhaps with a deeper knowledge of the club than me, but I perhaps have the knowledge of th- these owners and what happened there. So sure. let's yeah. let's let's um, def- definitely uh, share share notes on that one. Uh, also delighted to be joined by Gareth Dobson. Gareth, great to have you back. Yeah, nice nice to be back after my uh, my uh, one episode furlough. How was it? <laughs> it was good. We were in the flesh. Um, I don't know if you managed to catch it, but it's always uh, quick fire round with. Uh, Mark Webster and Kevin Hunter Day. Um, I merely just steer the conversation, and even when I'm doing that, it's kind of pissing in the wind. You just have to wind them up and let them go. Uh, Kevin was chatting about his, his book, which is brilliant, um, which is called "Who Are You?" and it's got a story on all 92 clubs. And I I'd supplied a story uh, on Grimsby Town about Roy Chubby Brown and the world's greatest or world's biggest ever prong cocktail which he managed to stir in a red hot day on a blundell park yeah which kind of resulted in some sort of last of the summer when comical um sun on prong cocktail related roy chubby brown banter but um but as i said you can pick up the book if you want to hear about that um uh, gents i'm hoping you watched the football this weekend because it was uh mental gareth I, I did. I actually had a nice uh, weekend retreat with uh, with a couple of friends, and uh, that's pretty much all we g- given how the how terrible the weather was. But it wasn't a bad weekend to sort of sit and and just pile in lots of just deeply ridiculous football. It was it was utterly bizarre and and, and highly entertaining. I'll, I'll take a few more weekends of this before they manage to sort out the defences. Yeah, definitely, John. Uh, just double checking you caught uh, the games before uh, before we go in, because uh, obviously um, it's not always possible in the modern era with so many games and so many kickoff times at the minute. But um, but I'm hoping you caught some of it. Well, uh, confession to make that I managed to sleep through the Liverpool game. <laughs> so so uh, maybe maybe I was physically and mentally exhausted by the uh, goings on at Old Trafford, but. Um, I I fell asleep with the radio on, and so it registered as some sort of fever dream. Uh, and then when I woke up and it was 7-2, uh, you know. My first thought, actually, uh, which I did tweet about, was uh, 
Roy Keane and Jurgen Klopp's <laughs> standoff the week before, in which Jurgen Klopp had a go at Roy Keane, saying his team was sloppy in defence. Now, who's laughing now? Uh, <laughs> uh, and that, that I mean, that, that that dispute just turned into one of the into those sort of United v Liverpool old style um, disputes, isn't it? Where it was, you know, everyone was on Jurgen's side if they're a Liverpool fan. Um, Whereas, personally, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Roy Keane as a pundit, but um, I'd say he knows what it's like to tighten up a team and when they're tight at the back. And there was a lot of tactical debate about, oh, actually, we play very differently how we used to play uh, back in the the year 2000 when you're at your peak, Roy. But, uh, and as as I'm sure you know, Martin, uh, there's good defending and bad defending. And what we see at the moment is bad defending. There's not really any way to look at it than that, I don't think. Well, that's really interesting because I let's start on that because I the continuity there I suppose I lost that a little bit I, I like the fact that it was a you know it, it was a nice thing to draw upon the rivalry between those two but in actual fact it's it's completely true of you know that defending this season throughout the league but also just that once sloppiness sets in it's hard to get rid of it and I think maybe the change in personnel what, how did you well. Maybe I'll, I'll bring Gareth in here because you might have been drifting off at this point, John. But um, Adrian at the back, Gareth, how much of an impact do you think? What, what do you think the dynamic is at the back for Liverpool? And I mean, once the rot sets in and Villa were rampant, it almost feels like there was nothing they could do wrong. It was like a no lose gamble for them. But there was definitely something wrong with Liverpool. I mean, that, I mean that seems quite an obvious statement. But but what did you make of it? It there, there seems to be this kind of self fulfilling prophecy when. Uh, Adrian plays it. You know, you can see that the defense doesn't trust him. There's, there's, you know, no no communication between him and the back four, and it therefore seems to create the you know the mistakes that they fear are going to happen. Um, everyone's culpable. Uh, I, I thought Alexander Arnold had a a really bad game as well, um, but it, it was strange because there was also. You know, three of the goals were pretty wicked deflections. Um, and it just felt like every time Villa took a shot on goal, it went in. But then also they could have had another three goals legitimately. You know, it was it was just you almost have to kind of chalk it off as a game where everything that could have gone wrong for Liverpool did. Um it you know, the defending was obviously ridiculously sloppy and I don't know why they persisted with the high line for for that amount of time when it clearly wasn't working. Um, I, I'm not smart enough to understand whether that's a breakdown of just the defence and the goalkeeper, whether that's the entire team who, you know, create that system and therefore when it doesn't work, that's on everyone. But it, the whole thing just completely broke down. And it's, I think you trust Klopp and, and Liverpool enough to say that, it's likely to not be repeated. I was more interested in the Manchester United game because to me it was, that was about a team who seemed to go in uh, still having failed to shake off the issues from the, the Crystal Palace game, um, which yeah. obviously they lost. And, you know, they seemed rattled from the start and there was, you know, they seemed very ill-tempered from within themselves as a team. And I think if I was to be more worried about one team over the other, it would definitely be be Manchester United. Well, let's come back. We'll come on to United in a minute because I know John will have, have some words on that. But just wanted to pick up, John, on, on the idea that Liverpool 
say that they can chalk uh, put line under this one. But, but do you think it's a bigger problem than that? Because Liverpool have shown themselves to be fallible already a couple of times, but maybe even you know you might say to lower opposite lower league opposition. You know, Leeds and Villa have, have exposed them. Uh, to frailty, uh, is that because Liverpool are going into the game looking complacent, or is it just now people have have kind of the mask has slipped a little bit for Liverpool? Because I I know that that wasn't their full team, but certainly um, I wouldn't be I'd be less afraid of uh, Klopp's teams going into matches now. I think I think um, one of the problems, well, well, the the Jurgen Klopp team is a team in its purest sense, isn't it? It's a, a collection of people working together. But I do think uh, from that game um, and the games that they've not defended very well in, um, you have to pull out a couple of individual performances. Now, Joe Gomez took a lot of flat yesterday, as did, as did Trent Alexander-Arnold. But Virgil van Dijk, um, well, uh, it's, it's a matter of months ago that he was the best defender in the world. I'm not quite seeing that at the moment. Um, a few of the... Uh, Goals have conceded have featured acts of him, well, have featured him being incredibly lax, overconfident. Um, I don't think that he's quite got the midfield mix right ahead of um, ahead of the defence. Um, at this point, we might introduce uh, something which is, which is rather unsaid in the TV broadcast, which is uh, there has been something of an outbreak of COVID within Liverpool's squad, hasn't there? I mean, Mane was missing from that game. Obviously, Thiago Alcantara has played a matter of minutes and is currently quarantined. Um, you do wonder um, quite what's what's going on within that team, whether that's affected the morale, maybe for some of the players are themselves recovering. And also, I, I think at the start of the season, I was concerned for Liverpool because they had that, at the end of last season... They pretty much had to win two games, and then they were, you know, they were on easy street. There, everyone else was having to fight for Champions League places or against relegation. Liverpool's season was over; their Champions League campaign was over. And I did think that they would struggle to to find themselves at the start of this season. Now, the performance at Arsenal suggested that they, attacking wise, certainly possessed that, and even against Aston Villa, they attacked well. But um, it's the defence that. Uh, is a big problem. Now, they started actually last season uh, with, with some fairly lax defending and it's something that Jürgen Klopp knows how to tighten up. But, um, as you said, Martin, they are fallible and teams know how to get at them. Uh, the mix isn't quite right there. Um, a team that a week ago you'd have said they're already issuing for the title perhaps look a little less, well, a little less of a lock for it. But um, I think you're going to have to say that this is a blip until it becomes a pattern. That's just the way that it is at the moment. No, I think that's I think that's probably wise and um, probably the more considered way to look at this. Uh, guy, we'll, we'll tie it into uh, Man United's woes um, because I, I think with as you said with Liverpool, it's it's more to do with um, it's, it's more to do with change of personnel. There might be John. You, you make an excellent point about COVID because. I can't imagine that's a particularly confident um, thing to be able to discuss in the dressing room, no matter what. Particularly when you're like finely tuned athletes, it does make a difference. Even just the slightest thing. I mean, we see it in other sports. You know, the the fear factor that's been involved in the Tour de France. With you know, if someone gets ill, the difference it can make to performance it virtually makes you redundant. Um, Gareth, just one last thing on Liverpool. Then with Mane, as 
as you were saying about them going forward, they still look a force. But it, it, does it does it show how much they rely on Manny in terms of a, a kind of a, a go between work rate, all the things, even protecting those fullbacks who've you know who've looked weaker for for Liverpool this season. Um, possibly it's it you know it does seem really hard to to replace that front three when any three of them are not in the side. You know they do seem to dip and you know while players like Minamino and and so forth. I'm, I'm I'm sure they're good players and competent players. It's you know, they always just seem to dip without without the the magic three. And you know, they're they're a front three that's getting a little older. You know, they've played a lot of games in the last few years and it's gonna be really interesting to see how how they deal with that. Obviously, you know, they they, they made the the one additional signing from uh from Wolves Diego Joshua, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, you know he he had a a promising you know sub appearance in the game for last. He he had a couple of moments against Villa, um, but yeah, it's you know I, I think maybe the they were hoping to get another year out of this squad without changing too much, just bringing in Thiago largely. But possibly they they've mis misread that situation. Yeah, well, I think we should give. Uh, I mean, we haven't spoken a great deal about it, but we should give Villa a lot of credit for the way yes, they did attack. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they. Grealish uh, proving proving people wrong, but also maybe uh, a new lease of life for Barkley in there next to him. I think that that's a that was a shrewd signing. It was it was very Aston Villa though, wasn't it? It was like let's take a chance, let's take a Danny Drinkwater, let's take someone that can you know that sat on someone's bench. But Barkley's you know he's he's in good nick. He's not been sat in his ass for six months. He's pretty you know he looked in good shape. He had a good engine in in, in the midfield, and he does free up. You know, he, he, I think he's a step up from you know when you've got your Tom Cleverley and people like that that they brought in. Not that no disrespect to them, but Barkley offers something more going forward, perhaps, and really uh, put some doubt in in the mind of Liverpool. That's for sure. Um, going on to United, John. Um, yeah, <laughs> where Gareth kind of touched upon it. I want to bring you in because Gareth, I, I would like you to maybe wax a bit more lyrical about uh, Spurs on this one, being being your chosen subject. But at the same time, John. Uh, how much? Well, maybe just unpick it. I'll let you, let you have free reign on this. But I, I mean, Ollie, Ollie looking at his depth, but players maybe just not doing it for him at all on the pitch. I think, I think it goes. Well, okay, we get this one out of the way. I mean, I don't think Oliver Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be a great manager for Manchester United. He's a great figure in the club's history, but um, he's not really up to the job. Um, so then we move on to this. I mean, yeah, actually, the, the thing that the, the thing is with United. I mean, I tweeted about this yesterday, slightly tongue in cheek, but uh, which is that my view of Manchester United, which as you know is fairly jaundiced these days, is that you're at this point where, with seven years on, over seven years on, seven and a half years on from uh, Alex Ferguson stepping down, and it it doesn't really get any better. There are. It reminds me of Liverpool in the nineties of sort of. Corners turned, then everyone turning on each other. There's so many factions within the club and people feeding off it. So you've got in the commentary box, you've got Gary Neville. Now, Gary Neville, pretty much every time Manchester United concede a goal, we'll talk about the and the, 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 the camera will point to Ed Woodward sat in mask in the stand, perhaps on WhatsApp. And it, it, they will point the figure, they will point the finger at Ed Woodward because you know, you didn't buy. Jaden Sancho. Now, Jaden Sancho could not have done anything about Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire tackling each other essentially for a Spurs goal. And um, 
and you've just got this. I, I think one of the problems is that there are so many cheerleaders for Manchester United around there who want everything to be wonderful. They want everything to be bright and sunny and, and glorious like it used to be, just like it was for Liverpool for such a long time. That you know, the, 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 the solution to the club changing would be the change of the ownership. You know, you've seen yeah, the figures continue to be that the Glazers take so much money out of the club uh, and that's their share. And then the rest of it, well, they can spend the money on players um, or whatever. Um, but having said that, I, I, I am always quite resistant to, to, to so many Manchester United fans talk about, well, if we buy these players, then we'll be much better. Well, I'm afraid, as, as we all know, it doesn't work like that. Um, it certainly didn't work for, for Tottenham, um, Gareth's club, when you know they, they, with the Gareth Bale money. It, it's, about, it's about much more than that. And Manchester United have been a listless ship for so long that events like this, this Tottenham game will keep happening because... The the, the the strands of the club are so frayed that things like that will keep happening. So you have a player like Bruno Fernandes, who was great for four or five months, is now a little bit off form, um, but they, they relied on him for quite a while. They can't rely on him anymore. Um, you've got Harry Maguire, who is playing um, under a big cloud, we have to say that, but he has to play. Um, and you've got a player like Paul Pogba that really should have left the club, but unfortunately COVID-19... You know, so you've got so many strands that are wrong with the club, and it's to do with the fact that the club is a disorganised mess and has been essentially since Ferguson left. And you can have all these people that want to be happy, clappy, and oh, think we're turning a corner, we're going to be back like Fergie's days. Well, that's not going to happen for a while. And personally, I think Manchester United needs to bottom out before uh, we actually get to that point. Last season, they're getting into the Champions League. They've got a tough Champions League draw, which I think they'll get punished by. Um, yeah, so anyway, I don't think Manchester United are very good, Martin. And uh, I don't predict great things. And that was coming, really. Um, as Gareth said, Crystal Palace, they were atrocious. Well, somehow they managed to be far, far worse. Well, <laughs> yeah, you've gone through the life cycle of, of perhaps... What what happens to football teams? Maybe uh, Man United are nowhere near as bad as it it, it could get for them. Yeah, um, but but it would feel that that is an inevitability rather than something that they can keep plugging holes with. You always yeah, the funny thing was you always felt that Liverpool would were the same until they got that new kind of mentality and that new ethos under. Um, I mean, you could say that Benitez uh, galvanised it a little bit, but he was just up against much much better opponents. Yes, but but and Klopp has has been able to revolutionise his team and mentality of Liverpool while, you know, not having necessarily loads of competition around him. But, um, but yeah, let's... Uh, now, I'm, I'm, I think that's a, a fair summation. And we, uh, Gareth, uh, I, I hope that you can add some value to it with Jose because um, there was probably... How, well, this is the thing. It depends how much you like him individually, but did you, do you think his understanding of Man United was something that really helped expose that? Or did he just make hay while the sun shined? Um, so, you know, I suspect I'll forever be mildly sceptical of Mourinho, but it this week has been his best week at the club um, to navigate three uh, games in, in five or six days to... You know, to beat Chelsea in the League Cup, a, a team who Spurs seem to psychologically uh, struggle with, uh, and then to you know to hammer Maccabi Haifa, who are you know not the worst team, you know fairly uh, 
team that usually you know sees a lot of European football events that come to Old Trafford and pull out a team that I think a lot of people were surprised by, especially when he started Eric Lamella and uh, and Dombele. You know, and Dombele being a player, you know, who he he, he seems quite uh, un unenamored with, and then and then to do this is you know is, is huge credit. And I what surprised me the most is usually. Uh, with Mourinho is that he will settle for a lead when he feels that you know his team can defend. Yeah, for example, the reason why Spurs uh, didn't beat Newcastle was as much about settling to take a one nil win as it was you know uh, terrible handball VAR politics. Yeah, yeah. But for this one, and it probably was because it was Manchester United. Once you know the blood was in the water, he he went hell for leather. Um, he, you know, continuing on his favourite uh, game while he was at Manchester United, he spent the entire second half picking on poor Luke Shaw. Um, the way that they just overloaded, uh, you know, Spurs' right-hand side, uh, Manchester United's left was, you know, it was it was quite brutal to watch. You know, two of the two of the goals in the second half uh, came came from that side, and you could see Radish. There was one point where the camera uh, panned to. Mourinho and he tried not to smirk, but he could not help himself. Um, Who was and the it's... player that Shaw scythed down? Sorry to cut across you there. Who was he? The one with the one that was just like it was like a proper playground tackle where the ball had gone. But he just went, I'm going to swipe him out. I mean, that was a red card for me. That oh, was it was a, it was an end of the game. You know, end of my work. Just send me off. I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, and um, he kept him on. That was the worst thing. I know. Uh, didn't even give him the. Uh, but who was the player that he brought down? I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. There was I something on the right, wasn't it? Was it Lucas Mora? Was it Lucas Mora? It could well have been Lucas Mora. Yeah, I think so. I can't. I was watching it on silent at the time, so I was like, "When I've seen enough." This no, is, you're right. Uh, it was because it was more breaking, and you know, it did look like there was going to be another chance fashion. But yeah, like the like you said, the tackle was very much. I don't care about this anymore. But you know, at that point, it felt like half the Manchester United team had either committed. A ridiculous mistake. You know, Pogba's uh, penalty giveaway on Ben Davies was just absurd. You know, <laughs> this Ben Davies, he, he is not, you know, the sort of doyen of attacking left backs. He, he was he was sort of trudging into the box. And then suddenly this kind of, uh, you know, locomotive of Pogba just comes through the, uh, you know, across the ground. It, it, it was just bizarre. And, it, you know, it, everyone loves the head's gone, you know, phrase, but it really did seem like that was the case. But... Uh, yeah, for Spurs, I, I think you know one of the, you know, obviously one of the sort of compelling narratives that came out of that Amazon All or Nothing series was his team talk, basically saying you're too soft, you're too nice, you're never going to win anything, um, and you know if if you want a, a hot take, it's well, this is the game that proves that maybe his mentality is finally coming across to the team. Yeah, well, there was something to, to, to match up there. I think uh, just one last point on this one John before we do you think the transfer window is something that Jose is is shrewdly using for like even like Deli Ali's appearance at the end there and like the way he brings players in because as, as Gareth said and Dumbley is not someone that he's particularly enamoured with but he came in and did a brilliant job and it's almost like he says this is a game that they will shine in and it's a chance for me to offload them or it's just a kind of was that just a happy coincidence Um, I'm not sure I, I, I'm funny enough I, I, I found that Jose Mourinho and this transfer window compared to Jose Mourinho and previous transfer windows, I think he's actually been quite well behaved. You know, <laughs> compare, compare, well, think back sort of five years with Chelsea, where, I mean, actually, you think about the, uh, 
the players that were bought for him at Chelsea, you know, Papi Gillabodji would lead the list. Uh, <laughs> of course. Baba Rackman and people like that. And he's just like, what, who are these players? Why have I been bought these? And then, you know, obviously all those wranglings with Ed Woodward over, I'm, I, you know what, I can't even remember some of the players that have tried to buy. I mean, the, 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 I, I think some, sometimes the link with a player for so long that you just eventually switch off, that like you just don't want to know. I mean, I'm hoping that I'll forget about Jaden Sancho one day. But, you know, um, but I, I think, funny enough, at Spurs, uh, despite, I think he's sort of, he seems, he's, do you know what? He actually seems happy. Uh, and that is so, um, so strange, really. I mean, the, the thing is, the thing is that I don't think anyone expects Spurs to, to, to rip up trees. I don't think they um, want, that they're going to win the title or anything like that. But I do think Jose Mourinho, um, and, and actually judging a little by the, the, the documentary series, which I didn't actually find that entertaining, yeah. aside from Jose, um, I think, and as Gareth said, like they've had that, they've had the best week of his time there. It's not great to watch, but one of the things is that if you've got Jose Mourinho at the club and he is enjoying himself, it can be quite an enjoyable. Uh, it, 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 yeah, he's enjoyable to have around. He's an entertainer in in that regard. So that was a great win for him, and and actually. One thing about Jose is that he can get very good players playing at the top of their game, and he does seem to have got into the heads of Harry Kane and uh, and Hyoming Sun, and together they've been absolutely brilliant. And uh, we talked about it before about how Harry Kane maybe needed to reinvent his game. Well, let's credit Jose Mourinho with a bit of that development because he's become the master playmaker, a sort of Alan Gilzine type of player for. For, for Spurs, with sort of flicking on. I mean, absolutely fantastic. Still scoring goals as well. So, um, you know I'm not the greatest Jose Mourinho fan, but I have to say that the job he's done at Spurs, I think, has been pretty decent so far. Well, credit where credit's due. He's certainly uh, another incarnation in his book. He's gone for he's gone for more uh, phases than Bob Dylan, isn't he? Here, I think. Right, let's let's end this here, and we'll come back because there's a couple of teams in blue that uh, really need talking about as well. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. All right, welcome back. Um... From Jose Mourinho to Chelsea seems like a logical progression. So, um, yeah, a really impressive performance. Um, from reading from some of uh, your fellow uh, journalists, John, you might not uh, think that Chelsea's forwards did a particularly good job, but it was a good performance for a 4 0 win in the end. Yeah, I mean, um, Kurt Zuma is a bit of a man reborn, isn't he, under um, Frank Lampard? Which, you know, you've got to, let's credit Frank with that. Um, 
Crystal Palace started the season well. Uh, that's a good win. Uh, it takes a bit of the pressure off Frank. Like some of my fellow journalists, I do share the misgivings about Frank Lampard as a manager. I do think that um, he is something of a rookie. I do think that there is a lot, when you watch his teams, that you think that, that, that there are parts of the teams that aren't tightened up enough. You know, there's this great stat that Jonathan Wilson's read out quite a few times, which is about how often that they've conceded on the counter-attack. Um, but uh, for once, Frank didn't have to give a post-match interview in which he has that frown. I think we're all familiar with that frown now. Um, he, he dialed down on the cargo pants, so that was good. <laughs> um, and listen, I think the thing is, um, with Chelsea, what you've got is that all the Chelsea fans want Frank Lampard to do well, and that's understandable because he's such a great player for them. Um, and he was someone, and, but outside of Chelsea, what you've got is that it's fair to say, and I think this is unfair considering what a great player he was, Frank Lampard has never been someone that's won people's hearts, has he? Uh, he's achieved things on his own terms. He's uh, he's not as, uh, you know, as gifted, say, as his peers of the time, like, you know, your Beckham, Scholes, Steven Gerrard. We've been through all those comparisons over the years. But what he has uh, is the grit that actually, funny enough, it's quite befitting of Chelsea, uh, old-style Chelsea, before they became the glamour club. Now, does that make him a good manager? I'd suggest that one of the problems he's got is that he has to fit in all these stars when he much would we would have probably much preferred to play a load of young players and be, I don't know, the new Dave Sexton from the late 60s bringing through young Chelsea players. <laughs> but he, he, he can't do that there. And so what you've got is an amalgam of what he wants and maybe what, Roman Abramovich and his advisors won and we all know how that ends and it's going to be a fairly messy end at Chelsea and the fans are all going to say I hate Roman Abramovich and which did it has happened a few times over the years but eventually you do realise it's Roman's club and those Chelsea fans will come back and you know well we didn't like him for getting rid of Frank but uh, we're back because it's our club and that's what's that's what's going to happen to him um, but let, okay let let <laughs> But to set aside uh, that ghost of Christmas future, a good win, <laughs> a good win for Frank. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, well, I, this is the other thing I, I, I was always impressed about him as a player. I mean, I know he had a good Chelsea team around him, but he felt like a, to use the American phrase, Gareth, a clutch player. He seemed to turn up in the big games, didn't he? And he was a, he's certainly someone that that didn't shy away from a challenge. Whether you know, as as you said, John, he didn't maybe didn't have the finesse of some of the others. He certainly had, you know, a a very solid technique and was a, a, a incredibly fit player and was kind of, you know, you can tell when they're ever present like that, that, you know, being able to avoid injury and all of those things that made him a good pro. Um, obviously, it's a different challenge as a manager, but uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on him and, 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 and did you see the game and the goals? Um, I, I did watch the game. I was, uh, you know, Chelsea definitely you know, improved a lot compared to, say, the, the West Brom game a week ago. And it, it, looked, it did look... Uh, very comfortable in the end. Um, they did struggle in the first half to to get going. Uh, it was only in the second half after they made some changes and they they were a bit more sort of quick and decisive, which you know I think he spoke about at the end. I I was a little disappointed with Crystal Palace, who you know given that they've been playing so well and you know were, were quite unfortunate in the game against Everton last week, but they they seemed very passive. Um, 
I don't know whether they just kind of ultimately lack quality, but given how porous the uh, the Chelsea defence has been recently, you would have thought that they would have fancied uh, pushing on a little bit. But I mean, maybe that 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 is what led to the four goals and and their downfall towards the end. Um, I think. I mean, I I think I share all of all of John's thoughts about about Frank Lampard. It does kind of remind me of um, there's all these stories from Glenn Hoddle as a manager where. He'd be like, "Oh, just do this," and like, you know, show some outrageous piece of skill on the training ground. And um, while obviously that's not Frank Lampard's MA, you do sometimes get a sense he just gets frustrated that players just can't be really good um, yeah. because because you know he, like you said, you know, he pulled himself up by his own footballing bootstraps to to, to mix some metaphors. You know, he's he's a self-made footballer, um, and I wonder whether he just assumes that everyone should have the same drive and motivation that kind of separate him from everyone else. Well, this this is the thing as well. I think we have to be careful because you're right. He did pull himself up with his bootstraps, but we were talking about it was more that more of a piggyback than climbing a ladder. Do you know what I mean? The guy was like already on his way up there. He'd been given chances, and and again, John, uh, some of your colleagues and and yourself probably written more, much more eloquently than I can put it now. But I know that there's been some some pretty uh, strongly worded pieces on on kind of Frank's privilege and and where he's come from. But let's let's look at him as a manager. I mean, with the wealth that he's he's been backed, he's been backed well here. And in terms of the players that he's brought in, he just doesn't seem to have found a settled front three. John, have you kind of have you got any thoughts on 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 kind of who are the players that you think he, he should be trying to bring through, or certainly the ones that you know that, that he could settle on? Well, I, I think um, Havertz is obviously the, the you know the, the, the big signing, and uh, I, 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 forgive me, but someone described him as a German Johan Cruyff the other day. Now that's a pretty high accolade as, as these things go. Um, he's also had this thing um, with Mason Mount. Now, Mason Mount didn't actually start that game against Crystal Palace, which is the first one he hasn't started this season. Now, there is something of a um, with Frank, and, and this happens a lot in, in, in life itself, in an office or something like that. People, managers often take on people that they think are like themselves. And I think Frank Lampard thinks Mason Mount is a bit like he was when he was younger, though actually... I'd probably say Mason Mount had a bit more, had a few more tricks in his game. Um, but you've got this problem where you've got Kai, ha- Kai Havertz that cost 100 million, and then you've got uh, Mason Mount, who's a youth team player, and you're trying to fit them into a team. Uh, Tammy Abraham, in the news today, actually, for, for uh, misdeeds, Tammy, Tammy Abraham and Olivier Giroud are, at the moment, the, the, the strikers, and Timo Werner doesn't really seem to know where he's running which I would suggest is something of a fault in the coaching at this point. I'm sure they'll get there. Um, they look like they lack a central striker, really. Yes. I mean, I think Sammy Abraham's a good player. I think Olivier Giroud has been fantastic with Chelsea, actually. But that's not top level, really, is it? That's not of the highest grade. Um, so he has had players bought in for him, but he's almost had players bought in that are competing for the same positions. That's happened before at Chelsea. Remember there was a point where they had... Oscar, Juan Mata, yes. and um, and Eden Hazard. You know, so they've had that's happened before where Abramovich people have gone and bought these players and said to the manager, right, stick them together, that's your job. And it's very difficult for managers to do that. So Frank is, despite being, you know, Chelsea legend, Frank is finding out the hard way of what it is like to be a, a manager of Roman Abramovich's club. Um, so yeah, the, the forward line 
despite the, all the talent they've got, because they've still got Pulisic to come back, uh, and you've got Callum Hudson doing that, they're all quite similar players. Uh, and the players of the very top level, the central strikers, a Harry Kane or someone like that, they don't have that at the moment. Yeah, well, let's, listen, I'll use that as a nice segue into the other team in blue that... Um, that we talked about the very first week, Gareth Dobson astutely picked out uh, uh, one striker for, for special praise, which probably raised a couple of eyebrows at home, but um, it's proved to be the most emphatically correct decision we've made this season. And um, Gareth, uh, for Everton, do you think, in the same way that Chelsea, brought in a lot of players that can compete with the same position, so there's, an, there's an onus on the player to go and say, well, I've got to make this jersey mine and I've got to grow into the boots that, you know, have been been put out for me and say, you know, can, can I become that player? Um, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin is certainly someone that's been able to do that. Yeah, I mean, he, it's, I, I must say that, you know, he was someone I was like, I think he'll have a good season. I didn't expect him to suddenly, you know, look like probably the most, uh, you know, thrilling sort of pure number nine that uh, England's produced for, for a few years. So, you know, I, feathering my cap but it wasn't quite as I'd expected <laughs> it to play out but um you know it's 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 super interesting it's you know maybe it's one of those situations where he he's raised his game to the level of these players coming in and you know they've got a very good manager and you know maybe it's just simply a case of being excited by all the players around him and and, and they've identified he is the most kind of optimal way to create chances and score goals is is, is literally put it in front of him at the moment um, oh, yeah, yeah Hammers th- look great again. Sorry, no, carry on there. I, I was literally just going to add in watching one thing I've been impressed about. You put it in front of Calvert Lewin in the same way that we saw Villa uh, take their chances. The, the quality of the finishing, um, you know, it's been just uh, exceptional. And you, you put it's funny, isn't it? Almost with Calvert Lewin scoring those goals, Richardson can be the Richardson that we all know him to be. Is like an incredible impact player and effective in bursts. But he needs a foil. Yeah, and you know, actually, I think Richardson should get quite a lot of credit because he's he's playing off to the right and he's having to work really hard and sort of do some fairly unglamorous work as well. And it does look like it's a team that's kind of all bought into this idea of well, collectively we might be a, a very good team. Um, it does already look like a pretty settled side. Uh, obviously, they had. You know, Alan wasn't wasn't available, and they brought in Tom Davies, which I think you know was a collective social media groan from all Everton fans who I believe have <laughs> just decided he, he's not their guy, which is quite rare for the uh, the homegrown player. But I, I guess he's been there for been playing for a few years now, and they're just not very uh, very convinced. But yeah, it, it looks like a, a really settled side and system already. And you know, he's Hamas Rodriguez is probably is he the most glamorous player to you know. Join Everton for I can't remember who who you'd compare him to. Gary Lineker, you'd say in right, yeah, eighty five. Gary Lineker was not quite housewife's favourite. Gary Lineker at that point, so yeah. I mean, it's funny with with Calvert Lewin. Uh, over the years, we've seen so many young Everton strikers. Like you can list them, can't you? Danny Cadamatari, Michael Branch, Francis Jeffers. You know yeah. the, these players and Wayne Rooney, obviously, that have come through. And that the, the, the fans of the club have taken to their heart is like he's the new hope of the club. Um, and I'd say actually that, uh, you know, Calvert Lewin, uh, working with Carlo Ancelotti, who's worked with, you know, he's worked with Pippo Inzaghi, he played with Marco Van Basten, you know, you, you, and the advice has been, uh, I think it's fairly well publicised, isn't it? He's like, you know, hit it first time. 
Um, my memories of Syria in the 90s when we used to have it, you know, sent, what we watched, watched it on Channel 4, is that the shooting in, in uh, Syria was so much better than it was in, the, well, the nascent Premier League at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was because, you know, if, if, you, if you read a bit more deeply into it or spoke to people at the time, is that the strikers would go out there and practice shooting all day in a way that they, they perhaps didn't over here. And obviously, it seems that Carlo's taken some of those practices to a player of immense talent, Calvert-Lewin. We've known that. I mean, he was a was he under-17 World Cup winner and stuff like that. You know, this is a guy that's not, you know, has had talent. Um, he's also, you know, when you hear him speak, he's such a grounded guy, isn't he? He speaks so well. Um, and he's talked about how he's learned from not just Carlo Ancelotti and from Duncan Ferguson as well. You know, that's two different schools of the game, it has to be said. Uh, and, yeah, uh, the breakout player of the season, really. But, you know, it, when Gareth made that, well, let's not call it a prediction, you, you, you are pointing to a player who's shown signs in the last couple of years and obviously has the talent to make hay. And I, and I hope it continues because uh, I like the sight of Everton doing well in the Premier League. It's, uh, it's quite heartening, I think. Do you know, uh, the one thing I found really interesting about Everton's, uh, the way they set up, uh, when, when Everton have had good fullbacks, they score good goals. Do you know? And they've got, is yeah. it Dean and Coleman's back to his best? Yeah. Coleman looks fit and sharp. I mean, the poor guy's been, he's had horrific injuries and he's probably not put together 20 games or certainly not 20 starts in quite a long time. And you get the feeling that this this could be his season. Um, but you've got, you balance that out with the left-hand side. You're totally right about that. The early shooting, the early chances and um, being clinical in the air. I find it really interesting when I, when I, when I was playing, that almost shooting practice was always something that you you stuck on the end of a session. You know, yeah. we'd get we'd occasionally occasionally get oh, you know, and and but you wouldn't be out there long. And managers be like, oh, you know, and you get they would just assume you, you were a ready-made striker when you came. But some of the best strikers I've ever seen were ones that learned, you know, learned different tricks, and and you certainly saw it with that first incarnation of um, perhaps the overseas players come in. It might be a kind of romantic nostalgia I have but you, you always think of when Klinsman and players like that were coming from Syria the, the way that they always found the side netting or they would always be a, a certain cut above in terms of their you know just the way that they would finish I, I remember you know the Zaggies and Shevchenko when when you'd watch them play certainly in Serie A maybe less so when, when they get the chance to come over but um, yeah. but yeah no, I, 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 I would wholeheartedly concur with that um, Gareth in terms of the, the rest of Evan, you, you point to Alan there, and he's someone that a lot of people have said that is a, is a quiet influence. I think, you know, in terms of a deep squad, Everton, they've got something that perhaps they could, with a few additions, I think they might have signed someone else today. Um, but yeah, certainly a, a squad that can build um, towards something successful for them. I think so. I mean, yeah, uh, as John said, there's something heartening about them, you know, rising back up. It's. Uh, they can maybe reclaim that mantle. Remember when it was more of a big six in the uh, in the eighties of of clubs who I think were actually linked with sort of creating this this idea of a breakaway top tier. And Everton were you know were amongst those. Um, so it it does obviously uh, it does it does come in waves. And you know let's not forget that you know ten twelve years ago under Moyes they were a team who who were basically stationed in the top six at least every other season. Uh, finish fourth, qualify for the Champions League. So, you know, Everton fans have had tastes of success, and they'll they'll be very excited to to see it potentially come back. My my one issue, which you touched on, is 
it does feel like a team that will need, you know, its 14 best players to say stay fairly fit. Um, yeah. I think, you know, holes will start showing very quickly if a, a couple of key players get injured. Apparently, uh, poor Seamus Coleman has got a knock already and is withdrawn from the uh, the Ireland squad over the uh, over the international break. But we'll see whether that's just precautionary, I guess. Yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah, well, that's good, good to know. Uh, I think... I certainly think that, that you know, Everton, they do have a little bit of strength and depth. As if you, 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 you feel that Gilfie Sigurdsson, he's got he, maybe he's got a little Indian summer in him somewhere for them, and 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 the bit the bit part players are always the ones that are, are most important in any of those sort of runs because you know, come in for ten games and have a good flourish, and you know, especially when they need it most, perhaps second half of the season. Um, I can't believe we've got this far on and, and not mentioned it, but uh, Saturday does feel like an awful long time yeah. ago. Um, uh, Leeds v Man City. Um, John, did you catch any of that, or uh, what are your thoughts? Because I don't think we've we, we've not been able to prick your brains on Bielsa yet, um, and I know that there's more I, to this game than just him. Yeah, but, I, uh, I, I didn't see too much of the game. Um, I mean, I, I, <laughs> it, it's a funny thing with Bielsa. Obviously, he is a genius, uh, a mad genius, and he's got a group of players that are essentially. Um, Championship players, really, you know, with a couple of additions. He's got them playing like that. I do, I mean, this is an incredibly negative way to look at it, but hey, it's me. I do wonder if he's a, if he's a, you know, Rosario's version of Chris Wilder, um, you know, with, <laughs> with, with his tactical innovations, which um, a year on perhaps don't look so innovative. Um, and Shep Blades are struggling badly, I'd say, at this point. But um, I think the thing is with 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 Bielsa's teams I've watched over the years. I mean, I watched Athletic Bilbao play Manchester United back in 2011-12 in the Europa League, and I think they're one of the best teams I've ever seen play at Old Trafford. They were absolutely brilliant. Now it didn't last long. I don't think it lasted a season in the end at, at Bilbao because they all got very tired, which I do think is going to happen to Leeds. Um, but that game in itself, it did feel a bit like. Uh, Guardiola, who is obviously you know a BLCster, uh, it felt like Guardiola felt almost privileged to draw a game with Marcelo <laughs> Bielsa. Um, at that point, you begin to question Pep himself. You know, Pep's motivation levels—I don't think—are quite what they were. I mean, we could talk about that another time. But um, Leeds have been, you know, a, a, a real refreshing change for the Premier League. I just think, and you know, we always have to go back to this. It's such a pity that we aren't able to see Leeds in full flight, which is them with their fans. And the fact that I did, you know, they have this point where they talk about how there is no, there is no great art really from the point of the great flu pandemic or anything like that. And that people, people just want to forget. I do wonder if people will just want to forget this period behind closed doors once it's over. And this will be, and then we might forget some great things like Dominic Calvert-Lewin's run of form Leeds being fantastic, uh, you know, Villa beating Liverpool seven two. We just, <laughs> just, you just, you just put them in a cupboard and throw them away. I don't think it's going to be enough to save Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, by the way, or maybe. <laughs> but it's it, it's such a pity, really, that I mean, it's such a pity that everything's going on at the moment, of course. But that, for for our purposes, yeah, it, it would have been fantastic to see Leeds with those fans in the stadium and able to enjoy. Yeah, what what they've kept when they've been kept away for so long, it's it's just the it's just the sadness of the game, and 
it, it also adds to the you know when if if you have a weekend like Gareth's where you watch every game possible, the the no fans things you know I do that almost every weekend most of the time. It just adds to that that surreal edge to it, doesn't it? Because it doesn't feel real, and it probably isn't. <laughs> well, I guess I guess we'll never forget the moment that John uh, Bruin wanted Leeds fans back in any way, shape, or form. Regardless, uh, Gareth, last point because we're, we're we're coming to the end of this one. Did you catch the? Uh, did you, well, obviously the the, the Leeds uh, City game. What did you make of that? Is that? I mean, was that a tactical thing? Are we seeing Pep just going through a lull? Do you think Pep will be somehow buoyed by the? Uh, Liverpool and Man United and just go hang in a minute there's, there's got to be a wee bit of life in me left yet I mean yeah I was going to say without Sunday's action I, I think that would have been the headline game of the weekend it, it almost felt like a, a, sort of a television production this this huge love in between Pep and Bielsa and as it, what was quite nice it, it's the happiest I think I've seen Guardiola in, in about two years he seemed to genuinely just sort of love the day and just like you said be just be very pleased that he gets to uh, play a game of football against someone who he he obviously you know respires uh, you know sorry admires and respects to the nth degree. But um, it was a really good game. It was really fun. Um, I think it was maybe slightly over egged with how incredibly brilliant it was. It was you know in 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 in, in periods it was fairly anodyne. There was a lot of possession and. Um, not too much cutting edge up front for either team. Um, you know, City obviously don't have a have a striker or a traditional number nine without uh, Gabriel Jesus and uh, Aguero. So they are, I think, they are a little bit affected by that. But I, I do agree with John that you know I thought they would come out all guns blazing and have the bit between the teeth to reclaim the title. And I'm not sure that's the case. They still look a little sort of lacklustre and, you know, a little bit of ennui and just generally not not quite the races yet. Well, the one thing we know about Man City is when it does click into place, it will be uh, quite formidable and pretty uncomfortable and not very nice for everyone else in the league. But uh, until that happens, um, uh, more power to teams like Leeds who go and take it to them. Listen, gents, it's been a pleasure to have you on. We, we've not... We've not had spoke about West Ham winning three and then we've not spoken about Newcastle winning. We've not spoken about Arsenal. We've got, I mean, that an embarrassment of riches. But um, but John, great to have you back home. Can we can we read your writing soon, or are you in a, a sabbatical at the minute? I'm, I'm well. I'm, I'm a couple of writing things, one of which won't appear for a while. Um, but yeah, I'm taking it easy this month, mostly uh, through the, for having to. But I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to enjoy my month off uh, in well, in what looks like uh, another lockdown. But there you go. Uh, well, I about- suggest we'll tap you back up and get you back on here a couple of times if you don't mind. Of course, of course. <laughs> Lovely. Gareth, uh, just to say, I caught Anushka Shanka and Gold Panda on, on BBC iPlayer, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, it, I, I was trying to spot you in the background somewhere at the Royal Albert Hall, but you, you were well hidden away. Yes, I, I was high up in the rafters somewhere in a, uh, a, a COVID safe area. It was very. Uh, very tightly run by the BBC. Obviously, they don't want any uh, dramatic outbreaks. I don't think they'd, they'd get too much love if that happened. But yeah, no, it was it was an incredible thing to be part of with the BBC proms. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. And hopefully there'll be some more uh, work from uh, those two to come in the next year. We'll look forward to it. All right, gents, listen, thanks very much for having uh, for, well, for joining us this week. And uh, uh, we'll hopefully speak to you both soon. But uh, that was The Whistleblowers. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. 
It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.